This is Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, which is part of the Replicate Podcast Network. It is a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. Today on the podcast, thanks for joining us. We're talking about and continuing to talk about Revival Revisited. And we are blessed today, grateful today, to have Byron Paulus, who is going to be with us to continue talking about individuals who have been involved in revival and understand revival. We've talked about the long haul revival before and what God has done in our midst, and it has caused us to really reach out and begin to look at how revival's taken place in history, how revival's taking place now, and really begin to ask questions as church leaders what can we do? What is our role? What is our part in helping? Uh, and and really, do we even have a part? That's a question we've asked before, because we know God gives us the revival. God brings it. And all we can do really is, as Pastor Robbie has said before, stack the wood, because he's the one who's going to send the fire. So with that, Robbie, why don't you introduce Byron and, and just tell us a little bit about uh, who he is and, and what we're going to be leading into today. Yeah, uh, Byron Paulus has been a friend of mine for years. He is, uh, I think he's still the president. Is your official title of Life Action, is that correct? Uh, I am no longer the CEO and president of the entity, but I do lead the One Cry Movement, and uh, I am involved on the board level. I was I was the president for 30 years. That was enough, Robbie. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. <laughs> and written some great books. By the way, I finally got around to the One Cry book, by the way which I've had this book for years. And so it's on this long list. It is good. And I wanted to text you that a while back. It is really good. So I just commend, he's got a lot of different resources out there, but the One Cry Revival book is really good to really whet your appetite, challenge you for revival. Byron, thanks for being here. We want to talk about revival from the past. And I want to start with uh, really your your revival story of just how you got into and passionate about this, because here's what I found. A lot of guys I've talked to, something happened to them, right? Like, and, and just like for me, for years, it was preaching and church growth and strategy and processes. And then something happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an encounter with the Lord. And you know the story, 10 months on the porch, heard an internal voice from God, followed through with obedience. The rest is history. I crossed the spiritual line. I'll never go back. Yeah. That happened to you as well. And you've shared this with me. Would you just share it with those who are just maybe not familiar with you and just yeah. learning who you are? Just tell us a little bit about your past, how this happened, and I got you to where you are today. Well, man, I'm delighted and what a thrill to be on the podcast uh, with you. But uh, my journey may not be like p- people would typically think of uh, those who have been engaged in revival ministry now for 46 years. You'd think I went to a Bible college or uh, I did seminary and all of that. But I was actually a business major in college and I had one goal in life. I thought if I could have a certain starting salary, increase it by so many dollars every year, then by the time I'm 40, I could retire making all this money. And I made that plan work the first three years in business. And backtracking a little, I walked an aisle at age nine, uh, no conviction of God's spirit, just some lady coming to me and saying, hey, your brother's getting saved. Don't you want to? I, I just didn't want to disappoint that lady, you know? So I went through the motions, became a great alibi, kind of my quasi-Christian home and, and conservative community, went to a Christian college, uh, immediately began serving on the side about 30 hours a week as a layman in a, uh, a Baptist church, uh, was chairman of the CE committee, Christian education, leading that. We were leading a thriving junior high youth group all the while in my heart. 
I was on the verge of being unfaithful. I was beginning for the first time in my life to consume alcohol, and uh, I was a mess, but nobody knew it. But on my honeymoon, just after college, I wanted somebody to be in my wedding. They couldn't because they were traveling with this revival ministry called Life Action. So we thought we'd go see them. Literally, on the third night of our honeymoon, I stepped into, Robbie, what I never experienced before in all my Christian college experience, uh, active local church experience. I just sensed the presence of God. I didn't know how to describe it. I, I didn't know what it was. All I knew was I wanted more of that. And the day came three years into that business journey that I got a call and said, hey, how would you guys, you've been groupies, you've been following us around, you, it seems like you just want a little more, why don't you come full time? And that's when I said, how much will I make? And they just said, nothing, you'll raise your support as a missionary, independent missionary. And I said, well, I'm not going to retire by the time I'm 40 making nothing. So we decided we would go for one year to this organization, 1975 live on our savings account. I was way too proud to raise support as a missionary. And uh, we would live in our savings account. And that first week, I just sensed, again, just like you've been talking about there in Long Hollow, this unbelievable sense of the presence of God. And about the third day into it, two things happened. This was the experience that you were talking about, Robbie. This was the experience. The first thing that happened was uh, I heard a definition of repentance. And it was like this, a hard attitude that says, Lord, everything I know to be sin, everything you show me in the future to be sin, I'd be willing to give it up for you. And I always wanted God. I just wanted God in my sin. And it's not like it'd be, you're not talking about sinless as you're talking about choosing God over myself and my sin. And when I heard that definition, I thought, man, what am I going to do with it? And then God said, I want you to give your savings account away. I said, I can't do that. I can't give my savings account away. And then the moment came, intense conviction. The presence is all over me. I said, okay, God, uh, you can have my savings account. I'll give it all away. And God knew what had me. And then I repented, gave my heart to Christ. So that one year has turned into 46 years, 30 years leading a ministry that may be the largest revival ministry in North America. I don't know, don't care. But all I know is that was one experience. Now, can I say one more thing here, Robbie, because it's so painful, oh, yeah. but I think you're- Come on, come on, man. Yeah, okay, here we go, man. So for seven years after I came to Christ, I was too proud to get baptized. So here wow. I am. Now the national administrator of this revival ministry that God's using all over the country. And we set aside a week every year, shut everything down just to seek the Lord. And the conviction of God was so overwhelming. I finally couldn't take it any longer. So I stood up in front of probably what was 150 staff back then. And I confess that I've been disobedient, too proud to admit that I have baptized on the wrong side of salvation and resigned in my national administrator role because I felt like a hypocrite all those years of disobeying. And our founder stood up, Del Faisenfeld, he stood up and he said, you know, these are the kind of national administrators we want. This is the kind of leadership that will, those who will get honest and have humility and admit their need. And Robbie, just like you're experiencing, I know they're at Long Hollow, 
about 10 other staff got baptized spontaneously as a result of me just sharing my story on, of disobedience. So, hey, wow. that's how I got involved in a revival ministry and those, that turning point. Wow. Hey, listen, I love that definition about repentance. Am I willing to repent and turn from any known sins, past sins, or future sins? Now, I've never heard anybody say it that way, of future sins, because we'll say, Man, I know I've done some bad things, but but one day, you know, I'm open to something else. Yeah. But I love that definition of repentance. It really yeah. just frames it differently, yeah. don't you think? I do, and it's a hard attitude. I don't want anybody to think it's a it's a works deal. It's a hard yeah. attitude that says that, Lord, everything uh, I've ever known to be sin uh, and uh, future to be sin, I'd be willing in my heart to give it up for you. Yeah. And what I hear is total surrender. Exactly. And that's really what revival is, right? I mean, revival is getting to a place where, you know, we're talking with uh, the Beasley brothers uh, on another podcast, and they said a lot of people are praying for revival, but they don't really want revival because of the inconvenience of revival, right? You've got to find babysitters for your children. You've got to stay, you, you want to be in the presence of God. You don't leave. Uh, what what has been in your experience? Let's just talk about Dell. And uh, Faisenfeld and his influence on your life. He was the founder of Life Action Ministries. Correct. Tell us a few stories or a little bit about him for those who don't know, because he was there for many years and he was a mentor of yours. Yeah, I think his story begins at the birthing of the ministry. Uh, he was a youth pastor, St. Petersburg, Florida, and um, he called a Saturday night prayer meeting with this slogan no pizza, no party no pop, just a lot of prayer and a lot of power. And the youth flooded to this prayer meeting there on St. Pete Beach. And it was in one of those prayer meetings that God, and I've got copies of five pages of legal pad where he wrote down what God put on his heart as a vision of this ministry. And so it was in one of those prayer meetings, wow. appropriately so, that the ministry is birthed. But here, get this. This is a part that I so appreciate. He believes safety in a multitude of counselors. And so he hit the road for one year, visited 125 or 30 or whatever, pastors, ministry leaders, Bill Bright of, of Campus Crusade, now crew, and just people that many of us might know. His daddy was an evangelist, so he had all these relationships and at, shared the vision that God put on his heart of everything that exists today, really, and then went back at St. Pete at that very spot. And here's what he said, Lord, I don't understand it. You gave me this vision. I went around the country to some of the godliest people I know, and they all said the same thing. That's a great idea. It'll never work. I mean, public high school assemblies and teams and churches traveling and buses and trucks and all the components, conferences, radio, etc. And, and, and he said, God, I don't understand it. And this is what the Lord spoke so clearly to his heart. And I love this. And it's like God said, Dell, I don't want you to ever forget it because I want you to have a ministry that cannot be explained by man, only by God. And I would just say his greatest testimony to me is the total unexplainable of a ministry like this, still in existence now, 50 years later, most yeah. of all of our staff raising missionary support to be here. Unbelievable. What was your time like with him? When did you, how did you meet him? Or obviously early on, yeah. what, where, where were some encounters with him or 
things you learned from him? Well, you know, on his grave marker, um, there are five things stated. And I go to that grave marker periodically, not because of him, but because of those five little statements. And these are the five things probably that depict what I've learned most. And the first thing it says is, and then by the way, it's a very inconspicuous, very modest grave marker intentionally, but it says he loved God. No, excuse, excuse me. First, it says he knew God. I mean, you just sense this guy, Yada's the old Hebrew term. Is that right? For Adam, yeah. knew Eve, and they that do know their God shall be strong and, and do exploits. So he knew God. He, it wasn't, he believed 80% of the people, like Raven Hill did, 80% of people in the pews today really do not have a relationship with Christ. Yes. So he was an evangelist son, but did not come to Christ until 17 or 18 years old, playing the game. And he knew there were many like him that did not know God personally in a relationship. So he hated religion, but loved relationship. So he knew God. He loved God. I mean, it's like he just wanted to tell everybody about this person of Jesus Christ that he loved. And it was evidenced by the volumes of time. I remember because I was kind of the administrator leading the organizational side, which was my passion. And he wouldn't come to the office rarely before noon. But when he came, there were pages upon pages of what God showed him that morning before he came to the office. So he loved God. He knew God. And you mentioned, alluded to it. He believed God. Wow. What a man of faith. He would always say this. Whenever we got into a church or someplace where it just seems like there were walls and obstacles and difficulties for the Spirit of God to have free reign, he would always say this. Revival is as possible as the sun rising tomorrow morning. He believed that for the nation. He believed it for the world. He wow. said, as long as God is on his throne, revival is as possible as the sun rising tomorrow morning. I was on airplanes where there were embedded thunderstorms, and they said, there's no way we're going to get there in time. And he would just stop and pray. And he'd say, God, would you part the clouds? And on one occasion on a, on a small plane, the, the pilot radio back and just said, hey, I see an opening out there. Just things like that. Constantly, he believed God would change weather systems for the sake of his gospel. So, he knew, you know, he, lo he knew wow. God, he loved God, he believed God. He walked with God. He would always say, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So he was big on the power. Yes, that's good. Message, that's good. You know? And so, and then finally, he lived and died for the glory of God. He really believed revival is nothing more than a display of God's glory. And when God's glory came in all of its might and power, God would be glorified. So anyway, those those are just things I remember so vividly, and they're inscribed. So good, so good. I loved it. I was so blessed. Yeah, wow. Uh, tell us, before we move on, uh, Del, one story that you remember that comes to mind of just God powerfully moving in a, in a place with him or just hearing about something happened. Anything comes to mind? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we have a campus here that uh, we call it the Lodge. It's 80-some acres, and it was a beautiful place. Nordane used to use it for their VIP football games and stuff. And, and uh, see, wow, it would have been uh, uh, 19... Uh, 
76, my second year out of the business world. We drive down this driveway. It's a little hill overlooking this beautiful estate and this lodge. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, saying, man, this is remarkable. And right there on the hillside, he stops and he says, let's pray God gives this to us someday. And I looked at him and I said, what? You're just driving up to this multi-million dollar mansion and you're just going to stop here and pray. I said, look, people go into business. They make a bunch of money. They buy things like this. You just don't pull it in front of it and ask God to give it to us, you know, but he did. He prayed that God would give this to us someday. He went home to be with the Lord in 1989 at age 42 of a brain tumor. 25 years after he prayed that prayer uh, would have been uh, 12 years after he died. That deed was signed over and given to us as a ministry. And I just always thought to myself, what that taught me is our prayers outlast us. He prayed, and 25 years later, after he was in heaven, that incredible place was just given to us as a donation to the ministry, to minister to pastors and their spouses, frankly. And, and he did that all the time, just stop. Let's pray for this miracle now. We were in a church one time in Pennsylvania. Uh, that was just uh, it's kind of the Amish community in Mennonite. And there's just a lot of strongholds there. And the, and we had been there a week. And, and uh, he just said, you know, God's not free to move. <laughs> and something's holding back the power of God. And called an all-night prayer meeting. Robbie, it was my very first all-night prayer meeting. And that old song, Till the Sun Rises in the Morning, you know, on your knees. I remember seeing the sunrise in the morning. That was a Friday night into Saturday morning. That Sunday, God broke loose in that church like you would never believe. I didn't think anybody would come to the prayer meeting. There must been 150, 200 people from that uh, church that came to that prayer meeting that night. Wow. So Pardon? All night prayer meeting. Now, all night. We didn't. I mean, it wasn't like you had pizza and pot. We just prayed. I mean, I thought, how in the world can you pray all night? But it was a powerful time. And that wasn't the that wasn't the last one that he called and I got to be a part of. I'm sure. Well, Byron, yeah, we're going to take we, a, a break in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. As we get into the break, before we do that, could you tell us just a little bit about your ministry and podcast? Just for those listening to find a way to uh, to get more information about what's going on with you and how to how to get a hold of your podcast as well. Well, I'm blessed to be a part of uh, what we call a house of brands in the business world, I guess, in the technical sense. But uh, there are three major ministries that I get to be a part of and have been able to lead all these years. Revive Our Hearts with Nancy DeMoss Wagamuth, uh, which is a flourishing women's ministry. And if you want to connect as a woman or your wife would want to, hey, I encourage you to go to reviveourhearts.com. About 1,800 radio releases flourishing in the Latin America and the Spanish world. And then Life Action kind of named after our parent organization, Life Action Ministries, our local church event uh, side of things. Dr. John Avant uh, leads that division. And you can just go to lifeaction.org and you can pick up all the church events and family camps and, and various leadership ministries. And then I started 10 years ago believing the 100 organizations in and of itself cannot really make a change in our nation. And I thought if we could just bring together voices and ministries and intercessors all across the nation, various streams, denominationally uh, and uh, ethnically and so forth. And so God launched one cry 
And today that has just, the trajectory has been unbelievable. And you can go to onecry.com and there's a Tuesday night weekly prayer gathering that God just keeps using. But just recently, we started the One Cry podcast. Uh, many of you might know the name of the Ella family out there, and Bill Elliff is one of the hosts on that. And we are we are launching this One Cry podcast for one reason, not just some teaching, maybe 10 minutes, not just some praying, maybe five minutes, but real stories. Uh, Robbie was on here recently, and Nate Leno down in, down in Texas, just so God's people can be encouraged that the fact that he is on the move, he's at work right now. So, hey, onecry.com, you can pick up the podcast. And this has been part one of a two-part podcast in Voices of Revival, talking to Byron Paulus. And next week, you can pick up part two by uh, downloading Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty as we continue our Voices of Revival series. Until then, share it with someone that you might think would benefit from it. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Are you struggling with the fatigue of ministry post-COVID? Have you experienced some fruit but hit a plateau in your life or even your church? Could you benefit from a group of like-minded leaders who can help you achieve your God-given potential? Being a church leader is more challenging today than it has ever been. And the pandemic hasn't made it any easier to lead. We now have a whole new set of problems to deal with as church leaders that will require new solutions. With this in mind, we developed the Replicate Collective. This is a close-knit group of church leaders who want to help you and your church unleash your God-given potential. Members of the Collective will interact with premier church leaders, men like Will Mancini, David Platt, Pete Scazzaro, and many others. Members of the Collective create catalytic clarity for their church and personal lives. They participate in weekly huddles with like-minded church leaders, and you'll get personal coaching from me and the Replicate team. If you're interested in applying to join the collective or simply want to find out more, head over to replicatecollective.com, replicatecollective.com. We have limited spots, so you want to check it out today. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast. You can receive more free resources to help you make disciples in your home, group, or church by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website at replicate.org.